Thank you so much for joining our online services. Our heart is for everyone to be connected to a local body of believers. This online service is meant to be a supplement for those times when you are not able to attend. We sure hope to see you soon. Well, there are a few things that I wanted to let you know about. The first one is our 97,000 texting option. This is a way for you to be able to send your confidential prayer requests. And man, here at the church, our elders and our staff team, we love to pray for you. So please go ahead and text us anytime. Well, if you would like to learn more about our various ministries, we encourage you to check out our website and see all the things that are happening every week at our church and a way for you to get involved. We'd love for you to join us. Well, our ABF ministry, it is only made possible through your generous financial contributions. So we would be just grateful if you would consider giving us a donation. Um, you're welcome to go to our website and there is a give tab, which makes it super easy and simple. Well, at this time, we are going to start off with our service. So join us as we dig into God's word. All right, church family. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Adrian. Uh, good to be together online another week, just working through uh, this just powerful book, the book of 1 Corinthians. And as I've mentioned, it hasn't disappointed as far as really practical uh, input into our lives and speaking into real issues. Uh, this week, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 7, looking at verses 10 through 24. And I've uh, labeled this, uh, this message, remain. I don't know if any of you operate in a constant state of just like ready to go. My, my wife gives me a hard time because she'll notice anytime I'm sitting down, I don't know if there's anyone else who's listening here that does this. Anytime I'm sitting down, I have at least one of my two legs constantly kind of just, just moving, just, just kind of shaking. It's, it's kind of like I'm, I'm waiting for the coach to finally put me into the high school basketball game that I never seem to get into. I don't know what it is that, that stirs or caused me to do that, but here we're in a, in a text that's really a, a thread that I hadn't noticed in this chapter until this, in this week's study, is that this charge and this uh, calling to remain, to sit tight, to, to slow down, not constantly enamored with uh, what's, what's next or what's, the, uh, what's, what's happening in the, the days to come, basically learning to recognize the real-time sovereignty of God, understanding that He's moving and working in your current circumstances instead of constantly uh, contemplating what our preferred future looks like living in the moment. Think about it. How much of our, our life is spent just thinking about like, well, someday when I get to this, think about the timeline that, that we have. Someday when I'm finally done with school, then I'm going to be content. Someday when I finally move out of the house, man, it's going to be amazing. Someday when I finally get married, oh man, that's going to be the best. I'll feel so settled. Or, or, or someday when, I when we finally have kids, then you feel like life is 
really starting. Well, someday when the kids, here's how it changes. Someday when the kids finally move out of the house, then our life can really begin. It's so ironic when you think of how many some days, someday when I finally retire, then I can enjoy my life. All of these things were being pushed against by the Apostle Paul, reminding us to give up this endless pursuit of greener pastors, but instead to realize that we have the potential, we have the potential for soul satisfaction in Jesus Christ here and now, here and now. Last week, if you remember how the section of scripture ended, Paul was charging them. He was speaking specifically to the singles within his audience, either somebody that had never been married or someone that had lost a spouse. And he had this charge. Remember, he said, remain, stay put, stay where you're at. Basically, don't miss out on the benefits of singleness with this anxious pursuit to change your relationship status to miss out on all the the benefits of singleness, to miss out on all the life experiences that you would have in ministry potential. Well, here he changes and redirects the conversation, no longer talking to the single person, but now talking this week to the married couples within the church family there. And really, he has the exact same charge, the charge to remain. You see, divorce and infidelity were completely out of control in that culture, probably even more so than it is present day. In fact, I was reading a little extra biblical material, just learning about their their culture in that time period. They actually didn't even have to fill out any paperwork in order to be divorced. They could just decree it, and then that was it. I'm done with you, we're divorcing, and that would constitute the end of the marriage. That simplicity led to just unbelievable levels of divorce. In fact, uh, records show that there's people that were married 27, 28, 29 times in their lifetime during that period. In fact, they uh, were, I was reading that some would even keep track of their adult life by how many uh, marriages they had had kind of a broken culture. And so that's where Paul is entering in. He's breaking in. He's already last week addressed the idea of infidelity. Infidelity was also rampant in that time period. Men had wives, concubines, and outside lovers meeting with prostitutes. He's told them, stop with that, choose a spouse, and stick with them. So basically now, He's adding to that, giving a few more parameters rather than just stick to them. What are the parameters that God has put in place for marriage? What does, is, does divorce play a part in that? What does that look like? We have a, a lot of very important topics in this week's text. And for that reason, let me just begin with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to spend some time in your word and to see how it speaks to a relevant family life and issues that we deal with now. I recognize that these are some sensitive topics, uh, obviously some pain that uh, comes on the other side of divorce. We ask that you'd meet us in this time, that you'd be moving and active, speak to our minds, speak to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 10, it says this, to the married, I told you that's the new people he's addressing, he says, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, 
she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So, giving them very specific instruction to the married folks within the group. He's under, understanding that, that in that time period would have been a, a sensitive topic, probably much like it is today. So reading just up-to-date statistics, we're still right as a nation, right around 50% uh, divorce rate. And the uh, scary thing is that divorce rate usually uh, carries about the same between the, the secular culture and within the church. And so I understand that even in the folks that I'm speaking to, this is uh, a, a real uh, important topic. But here he's explaining to them, he says, he says, not I, but the Lord. Basically what he means by that, because obviously all of scripture is God-breathed, but here he's explaining that he's reiterating specific teaching that Jesus has already taught and we've already seen uh, outlined in the Old Testament. So this is a new instruction. What is the instruction? Basically in its simplest form, what does he say? Wife should not, that the wife should not separate from her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. Those are the literal wor words used there. The words separate and divorce are synonymous here. Basically, in the most simple terms, he's just saying, remain. Stay put. Stay where you're at. Don't separate. This is a design from God. It's intended to be, the marriage is designed to be for a lifetime. That's what he uh, has put in place. He describes it as two becoming one flesh. We've already described that it's an intertwining of two people that's not intended to be ripped apart. And that's exactly, unfortunately, what divorce does. There's not many things in Scripture that God says literally that he hates. But in Malachi 2, he says that he hates divorce. His design was to bring us together instead by the tearing apart. There's so much pain and so much heartache. And I imagine many listening even to this can relate to that, whether it's yourself or your family or somebody that you care about deeply. And not to mention just those involved in divorce, but the collateral damage of kids so often is just destructive often for the rest of their lives. My wife and I end up doing over the years quite a bit of premarital counseling. And so often one of the things that we feel like we have to hammer home the most is talking to the couple saying, you cannot leave divorce as an option. Because if you use that, if you keep that as an option, when things get difficult, obviously you're going to take that route. We challenge them or charge couples never to threaten the word divorce. It should be, shouldn't be a word that's even used in your vocabulary in the context of marriage. As Paul's pointed here, he's reiterating what Jesus has already taught. I think it's important in this topic to see what Jesus had to say specifically when he was teaching on the subject. Mark chapter 10 verse 2 through 12 says this, and the Pharisees came up and in order to test him, talking to Jesus, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. 
Again, God's plan for marriage, male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Verse nine, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Here's the important thing. This is what we've, uh, that it points to is in scripture, there's only just a few accommodations for divorce. In fact, our elder board spent a significant amount of time on this as we were reworking kind of our stances on on different subjects a number of years ago, really dove into scripture, doing a a bunch of research, reading a, a ton on the subject. And it's interesting, after all of our research, really, after working through that, we really only landed on two different biblical reasons for divorce. The first one is sexual infidelity. Basically the idea of someone having sex with someone other than their spouse while they're already married. We read about that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. It was also, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, this is Jesus, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So there, pretty clearly giving just that one parameter, the one reason or uh, excuse, if you will, for divorce is when your spouse has not been faithful to the marriage bed. The second reason would be in scripture would be the abandonment of an unbelieving spouse. In other words, you ha- you're married to somebody that's a non-believer or you're, you're become a, a follower of Jesus Christ. You're married to someone that's not a believer and they want out of the relationship. We're gonna have a second here a little later in the chapter where it actually outlines this. When I think of like, well, what scripture would I point to? We're gonna see it just in a few verses here. So we'll wait till we get there. But basically we see from Jesus's instruction that he takes this so seriously that he explains that those who divorce outside of those parameters and remarry are actually committing adultery. Reason he tells in our text today them to remain unmarried if they're already divorced. It's better, he says, it's better for you to remain, to stay put. Some ask, and this another question will say, well, what, what about if my spouse passes away? What happens after that? 1 Corinthians 7, a little bit later, actually addresses that. It says, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. There's much more, obviously, that we can say about the topic, but these are some just general parameters that Scripture has put in place. And my takeaway, as I've already alluded to, is this picture and idea of remaining, staying put, Realizing that it's, it's better to fight for the marriage that you have. The pastures that are greener on the other side aren't always 
greener, when you actually choose to say, I'm going to invest in my marriage. I'm going to put in the hard work because otherwise, what are you doing? You're bringing the difficulties of your current situation into the next marriage. I was reading this week just statistically that in second marriages, the percentage of the fail rate or percentage of that actually moves from around 50% all the way up to 67%. And then a third marriage, it moves up to 74% failure rate. So many, I know, have experienced a lot of the pain and agony that's attached to this. And so I, I tread in this conversation lightly. I did want to open up an invitation if anyone ever wants to sit down with me and talk about this subject, process through, take a look at what God's word says. I don't, I'm more than open to making myself available to that. But as I've also mentioned in this series quite a bit is that we have a God who loves to take things that are, are seemingly broken and restore them and make them new. He's in the business of that. My wife and I have been listening quite a bit to a Christian artist. Maybe you've heard some of the different worship songs he's uh, attached to. His name is Brandon Lake. I really like a lot of his uh, music that's out there. And one of the songs that he has is called Graves into Gardens. I really like that picture and that idea because that's what our God is about. He's about taking things that are seemingly lost and restoring them, making something beautiful from them. We'll continue in the text in this conversation as you're realizing that this audience is just asking more and more just fundamental questions as it relates to marriage and divorce and what we're supposed to, how we're supposed to proceed. Verse 12 says, to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? All right, so what's going on here? This is, a, as I've mentioned, a group of young believers. There's new, lots of new converts, lots of people just coming to Christ and they're asking the question, is like, hey, if I'm married to my spouse and they're not a believer, am I required or expected to remain with them, to stay in that marriage? Basically, Paul's response, you do notice the parentheses there. He says, I, not the Lord. So here he's expanding on the teaching on divorce, not just quoting Jesus, but it doesn't mean that it's any less valid. It's still direction from God because all scripture is God-breathed. You can see that they had some tough questions trying to work through this. And so what is the response that Paul says? First, he talks to the wife. Then he talks to the husband and he has the same exact conclusion. If they're willing to stay with you, you are to remain, to stay put. Yes, you remain in that marriage. And he explains the reason for that. You might be the reason that the, this unbelieving spouse comes into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's an awesome thing. 
I know my, uh, grand, my grandmother, who ended up, I've mentioned before, at a Billy Graham crusade, came back after hearing the gospel, after embracing Jesus herself, led her entire family to the Lord. That's the ideal picture, and that's what he points to as the possibility. But we don't know for sure if that's going to be the result. Basically, here's the thing, is some people take this idea and they bring it a few steps back and they move it back into the dating period of life. They call it missionary dating. This idea that, oh, well, maybe this person that I'm dating will someday come to know Jesus Christ. That is a very poor strategy. And it bumps into scripture with this idea of what scripture teaches us not to be unequally yoked in marriage. Unequally yoked, that's kind of a, a weird term, but yoked was basically the wood beam that held two oxen together. Basically the uh, two oxen that are described in 2 Corinthians six fourteen that were connected to the exact same burden that they were pulling together. So as whether it's a trailer, whether they're uh, plowing a field, the yoke was what combined them or kept them moving in the same direction. And what he's saying, don't be unequally yoked. Don't be partnered with somebody that's heading the exact opposite direction. You see how that just doesn't make sense or work practically. So here he's saying, if they're interested, if they're willing, then remain, uh, remain married. What does he kind of push back? He talks about the benefits of that. He talks about the, the, the kids and the spouse being made holy. Now I had to kind of dig into that a little bit because you're like, well, how are they made holy? That obviously doesn't mean that they're saved because of you. But here's the thing is you, they're made holy because you have the potential to set and create the environment of your home that is an environment that has the, uh, the potential for them coming into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. There, there's the ripple effect of your choice, as I described with my grandmother. So really, one Christian in a home graces the entire home. And if you think about it, after allowing the kids to see the clear contrast between somebody that is following Jesus and somebody that's not, obviously that has the potential to leave an impact on them as well. But here's the part that I pointed to earlier. The second reason that's permitted in scripture for divorce, it says, if the unbelieving partner separates let it be so. So basically, stay married with the unbeliever as much as it depends on you. But if they're not interested in remaining married, you are not to put up the fight, to allow that to play itself out. Obviously, so much depends on the unbelieving spouse and the direction that they want to go. But here's the idea and here's the thing is if it's within your control, Man, keep working on that marriage. Stay in it. Stay put. Trust God with it. I have such respect. I know a number of people, both guys and girls within our, our church community that have faithfully stayed with their spouse that doesn't know Jesus Christ for years and years, have, have modeled and demonstrated Christ in the family, have faithfully attended church, demonstrate uh, just a commitment to prayer for their spouse. And it's a, a powerful thing. It's a, a, a lifelong, often commitment, but I believe God will honor that. Continuing in the text in verse 17, 
says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to them and to which God has called them. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone of the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Title this section, Remain Committed to the Word. Basically, as mentioned, the big idea that Paul's reiterating through this entire section is Christians don't need to be preoccupied with constantly changing their outward circumstances. I like how John MacArthur puts it. He says, the Christian life is not about a social revolution, but a spiritual regeneration. We can be a Christian in any circumstances we find ourselves in. So the person that's looking for justification for uh, leaving their unbelieving spouse, he's saying, no, stay put. For the person that's trying to say, oh, well, maybe I need to get circumcised or be uncircumcised, not sure exactly how that works. Now, the person that's a, a slave that wants to change his circumstances, a, a single person that's fighting to be married, he's saying, stay put. Allow things to play themselves out. Lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him is the general rule. My dad always said kind of a, a silly statement. He would always, when we were being impatient or trying to move forward in our own strength, he would always tell us to hold our horses. And we'd always joke as kids like, well, what horses are you talking about? But this is the idea here, the same thing that Paul is saying, just trusting, positioning yourself, being in a spot where you're like, all right, God, I'm waiting on you. The mark that they're referring to in this section that he uses as an example would be a, a conversation I'm sure that they had at that time. See, Judaizers, those who had grown up Jewish, were trying to convince the early church that circumcision was a necessary part of salvation. So that was an intense amount of, of pressure on the new, uh, uh, new believers there in Corinth and they're feeling the weight of that. And so it's good that Paul's giving some clarity. I was reading this week that even ancient rabbis uh, are known for believing that Abraham will be standing at the gates of heaven, heaven checking circumcision status of every Jewish male. I'm uh, not sure I'd like that uh, job description, but either way, that was the confusion that they had because for so long, that was the mark that demonstrated their covenant relationship with God. So now they're trying to infuse that into the current believers and the good news that Paul is. Can you imagine when you're getting this letter, the, the collective sigh of relief? Oh, we're not expected. Man, I, I knew I liked that guy, Paul. But here's the idea is for us to, to not get caught up. I mean, caught up in the false thinking that these peripheral issues are to be the main thing. What does he bring them back to? He says, stick with the commandments of God. What are the commandments of God? If you're gonna break them down, when they asked Jesus, what are, if you're gonna summarize the 10 commandments, what did he say? Do you remember that conversation? They asked him to summarize it. He said, man, if I'm gonna break it all down, it's to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. 
That's the commandments. Instead of getting distracted on all these peripheral things, he's bringing back to what we're actually called to in this life. Not constantly trying to change our circumstances, not trying to change the externals, but being more concerned about the internals. That's the idea of this last couple of verses. It says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Uh, avail yourself of the opportunity. Verse 22, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a, fr- is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, who, he who was freed when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, this is his concluding statement. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. That's the idea here. It's a repeated principle I've been talking about, this picture of remain. Remain in the condition in which you are called. Don't be so concerned about your external stuff of where you're going, but being more concerned about who you are becoming. Think about that. Think about that for a moment in a given week, how much of your calendar is carved out with that in mind. Well, who am I becoming? What's my character look like? Am I becoming more like Jesus? Does my calendar reflect more and more concerns of the external or more concerns about the internal? I was just thinking about that personally this week. And I'm just like, man, I'll, I'll be honest. I get a lot more that's tied up in the, in the accomplishments and, and moving forward and accomplishing, doing this and making sure that this box is checked and making sure, uh, you know what I'm talking about, the rat race that we all get pulled into. He's saying that's not what we're to be about. That's what, not what we're to be about. Our identity in, is in Jesus Christ, not whether we're single or married, we're not, whether we're, uh, not whether we're a servant or a slave, not our ethnicity. He's bringing us back to the basics, to the main priority of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, he has the little disclaimer there. He's saying for the, the servant, he's saying, if you have the opportunity to be set free, then man, go for it. But waiting for God to move instead of trying to move everything ourselves. Obviously here, he's not calling us to intentionally looking for a life of difficulty, but not to be so obsessed with always, what's the next thing? What's the next stage? How do I redirect my circumstances so that we miss that all that our God has for us in the moment? Stay where you're at until God moves us. Many of us, if we're honest, we struggle with this idea of restlessness. You've got the same knee tapping issue that I have, this constantly wanting to move, wanting to be added, wanting to be seeing change. But here I think the final words of this section, it really captures it best. It says this, whatever condition each was called. In other words, wherever God has placed you, whatever he's, wherever he's plopped you, he says, there let him remain. And here's the two important words, with God. Let him remain with God. That doesn't mean that you're just floating there by yourself, but you're doing this. You're going through this walk with him as tight as possible. You're like, I'm going to remain where I'm at and I'm going to stay connected to the vine. 
I'm going to intentionally carve out uh, parts of my week to make sure that that's happening. I'm not going to just allow uh, the, the alarm to go off and the blaze of the day to go by without looking for ways that I can be connected to him and him connected to me. That's the prayer of this. My hope and my uh, prayer uh, for us as we're listening to this is that we really wrestle through some of these issues as it relates to marriage and divorce. I know I, I was just looking back just in my notes and it's not that often that I get to work through sections that speak to that directly, but our heart is to stay as a biblically grounded church even on this topic. What are the different reasons for divorce? The different reasons that are mentioned in scripture, if you're gonna stay biblical, is just sex outside of marriage or the abandonment of an unbelieving spouse. Those should be the parameters. Otherwise, we should be fighting to stay in our marriage. What does it look like to remain in that, putting in the work to see that moving and honored by God? Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time in your word and how it speaks to things obviously that are heavy probably on a lot of our hearts here. I know it'd be hard to find somebody that doesn't have at least a scar or two from divorce. God, I thank you that you love to take things that seem like they're beaten up, broken, destroyed, and love to make them new. We cling to that even in this conversation. My prayer and hope is that you'd meet the person right now that's hurting, that you'd meet them in their pain, that you draw close to them, that they get a glimpse of what you have in store for their future as, you hold, as they hold tight to you. Thank you again for this time in the word. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.